every pregnancy has potential to pose a threat to the health and well-being of the mother. Every last one. Remember, we have the highest pregnancy and birth-related mortality rates among women than literally any other developed nation. That means that every pregnancy, every pregnancy is a potential threat and women who don't want to roll the dice with their own lives should not have to. Why is this so one-sided? The quote-unquote life of the fetus matters, but the life of the mother doesn't. Why is this kind of blatant hypocrisy taken seriously in the first place? Where are the anti-choicers in the midst of all of this? If they wanted to away with abortion entirely, how did they intend to deal with any of the problems we already mentioned? Here's the answer. They don't, because they aren't thinking that far ahead. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get unbound. You know, I hate to admit it, but I really am not looking forward to having to record and process this one. I know it sounds very hopeless and pessimistic, but when I think about how firmly ingrained opinions are on this subject in the minds of evangelicals, it makes me wonder if I'll even be able to get a grip on one of those starfish with the messaging, much less successfully return it to the surf. Hmm. But I do think that we have the responsibility to second as many truths as exist around this issue and keep exposing the man behind the curtain for the full of shit, woman-hating, mass-murdering son of an unspayed bitch who also should have had an abortion. He is. So here we go. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And tonight we're going to talk about abortion, why it's necessary, lies your pastors tell you about it, and why the moniker pro-life is not just a front for perpetuating misogyny and literally destroying society from the inside, but one of the most misnamed concepts ever. And the hell of it is, we don't even get away from it in Christians behaving badly this week. Nope. We start out with a good news, really bad news story about the mindless followers of the shit given who got us into this mess in the first place, and then more proof that the right is nothing but a huge board collective feverishly passing around about 10 IQ points among its elected representatives. It's Christians behaving badly, same MAGAs, different shit, well, more like the same shit edition. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Well, the alarm seems to be going off for a lot of pastors who must just not have been paying attention. Apparently, the only Christian churches that are growing in any way are the ones that subscribe wholeheartedly to 45's MAGA nonsense, the ones who reject COVID science and who venerate Supreme Court justices higher than Jesus. And finally, some of those that weren't all on board with this are realizing that this is a problem. Churches that are focused on Jesus are struggling, and the ones worshiping 45 are getting stronger. Because Jesus is passe at this point. <laughs> Why would you waste your time following Jesus when you can follow this insane cult of personality that, I mean, I'm sorry, I hate even talking about him in these terms, but he's very charismatic, and he yeah. he has a lot of mass appeal among Forgive me for saying so, but the lowest common denominator. Yeah. And that's on purpose. He said it himself that he that he 
prefers not 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 that he prefers what did he say he, something about uneducated people that yeah. he likes uneducated people because yeah. you know they're the ones that follow blindly yeah and they don't make him feel stupid well that's true mm. yeah but you know perhaps it's just easier to see the decline from the outside well it's always easier to see it from the outside it's the frog in the frying pan again yeah. When you're on the inside, you don't know how bad things are until everything turns completely to shit. And then you're scrambling trying to find some other reason why it turned to shit other than this thing that you were following. Yeah. One evangelical Christian left a moderate church to go to a more MAGA-friendly one. This man was convinced that Trump won the 2020 election. Yeah, he's not alone. When pressed, he explained... I am just as convinced that Trump won the 2020 election as I am that Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. Wrong on both counts. Right, but of course when you belong to a religion that tells you to dismiss logic and reason in favor of faith and obedience, it's not that big a leap for worshipers to accept a different kind of mythology. When you're taught from a young age to avoid challenging authority and told to keep critical questions to yourself or just to have faith, why would anyone be surprised when you fall for the flimsiest of conspiracies? Well, you know, we've we've had an entire conversation about this. We did an entire yeah. episode on why Christians fall for conspiracy theories yeah. that you guys can check out. And there are multiple answers to that question that uh, we just don't have time to no, get into gosh. right now. There was so much I wanted to include in everything that... Like, there's too much to even talk about in the time. Right. You know, we don't mm -hmm. want to make it three hours. I can't afford to make it three hours. <laughs> yeah, I know. As Hemet Mehta says, Christian leaders need to speak out against both the mega cultism in their midst, as well as all of the other awful, harmful, fact-free, evidence-denying evangelical beliefs that got us to this point. They can emphasize how being a follower of Jesus means never accepting lies, even from people who hand you right-wing judges on a silver platter. Mm. Of course, the chances of that happening are slim and none. The belief systems that make people believe in QAnon and that make people believe the Bible is literally true overlap strongly, and pastors are afraid if they consider one untrue, it will alienate the other. When you raise humans to believe in a series of lies, chances are they won't have the ability to identify the truth. Well, you know, some of their own messaging actually yeah. works here. I read that line and I thought of that line from that Petra song, Blinded yeah. Eyes. Blinded Eyes can't see the truth when it's written on the wall in plain view. Yeah. Um, very true. And they probably didn't realize just how true that was at the time when they wrote those words and how many contexts it could be applied to yeah. and how it could be turned right around on them. But it's true. Blinded eyes can't see the light when it's glowing in the night right in front of you. Blinded eyes can't see the truth when it's written on the wall in plain view. And it's so true because these people are not interested in truth. They are just interested in convincing each other that they are right. Yeah. And that's the problem. Yeah. And in the we told you department, GOP Senate candidate admits he wants to block access to birth control. U.S. Senate candidate Blake Masters wants to ban all birth control, even for married couples. That was what it said on his website, though it was taken down because it said the quiet part out loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there are still enough evangelicals out there that... Um, that can't get behind that, that he yeah. kind of needs to tread lightly 
on this all-encompassing, we're going to just take it all away stand. Because Mitch McConnell's doing the same thing. Yeah. And it's like, are you people trying to implode your own party? Um, try harder, please. Just keep saying shit like this. Just yeah, keep. Please. I mean, there are so many evangelical women that use birth control. Just keep saying this shit so that you can scare them out of voting for you next time. Really? When he was asked about this statement by Business Insider, he denied having contraception access in his crosshairs, but also said Griswold, the decision that made contraception legal for married couples, was wrongly decided. Nice job speaking out of both sides of your mouth, dude. For real. But he's just one candidate. How do other Republicans feel? An MSNBC article gives us some bullet points. Republican legislators in Louisiana are working on an abortion ban that would arguably criminalize in vitro fertilization and forms of birth control. You've got to be kidding. Nope. I, I thought they wanted babies to be born. IVF is a way that babies are born, you fucking idiots. Yes, but you also have to kind of, dec- sometimes you have to decrease the amount of embryos. Well, yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that one immediately, but I'm just thinking yeah. in terms of, okay, you want there to be babies? Well, um, and we're going to get into this in a little while too, but when you consider the sheer number of fertilized eggs that just get flushed out because they don't implant, what's the difference between that and embryos that don't implant or embryos that don't get used when the mother finally is able to give birth to a healthy baby. What's the difference? There is none. At least not in terms of science, not in terms of logic. There is none. Right. Republican legislators in Ohio are currently weighing new restrictions on some forms of contraception. Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee recently denounced Griswold versus Connecticut a 1965 case that struck down a state law that restricted married couples' access to birth control. Each of the Republican candidates running for state attorney general in Michigan also denounced the Griswold precedent. What is their problem? I just don't understand what the problem is here. I, you know... You know the problem, well, but at I, the same time... I know time, what the problem is. The problem is this is something that they don't control and that they want to control. Yes. I get that. But why do they fucking care? It just, it, it dumbfounds me why, they, why they're all so on the warpath against something like birth control. I don't know. If you don't want to interfere with God's plan, then don't use it, okay? Yeah. These people are going to hell anyway. Let them do what they want, <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. just using your logic, using your rhetoric, these people are, are hopeless cases anyway. Why, why are we even worrying about what they do. Worry about what they do after you introduce them to Jeebus, okay? (laughs) Yeah, right. So a good portion of Republican candidates and politicians seem to not only want to block abortion, but also want to block access to contraception. Remember this when you go to vote. As for me, I still just, I just can't even. It's only May. I know. And we have to sit here and prod people to vote. Yes. And you know what? If it was January, we'd be sitting here prodding people to vote in November because we said all the same things in 2016. We made all the same appeals to people. We told them bad things are going to happen if you either A, vote for this asshole, or B, don't go to the polls to vote against him. So let me just ask you this. Have we learned our lesson? Have Mm -hmm. you learned your lesson about this? If so... 
Get up off your ass and vote in November. Decide to do it right fucking now. Just do it. Don't think about it. Don't contemplate it. Just decide right here today while you are listening to this podcast that this is something that you are going to do. Because like we said last week, your life depends upon it. The lives of every woman that you know, care about, or don't know, or don't care about, who gives a fuck who it is, they're human beings, their lives depend on your vote. So please don't disappoint the women of this country. Don't disappoint the women that you love. You know who you can disappoint? The fucking evangelical assholes who are trying to do this to our country. Disappoint the ever-loving shit out of them Mm. and go to the polls and vote. We end these segments on such high notes, and then we get to go directly into asking people for money. Mm. Um, and So let's just keep it short and sweet. Our Patreon is active at patreon.com slash Network, and you can make a monetary donation there. Um, starts at the $5 level. That's just about a buck an episode if you want to break it down. And we do thank you in advance for at least considering helping us out in that way. But if money is something that's uh, going more into your gas tank than any other place you'd like it to go today, we get that. So just help us out in all the other ways that you can. Likes, shares, five-star ratings, good reviews, and most importantly, telling people about this show. For so many weeks, I said, tell someone new about this show this week. People, tell as many people as you can about the show this week especially if you know people who are on the other side of the fence of this issue. Like I said in the beginning, I am not hopeful that we are going to convince anybody. I feel like this is one of those preaching to the choir kind of episodes that those of us in the know are going to just be able to sit here and nod and agree to. But you never know. You never know. You might actually get a hold of one of those starfish and give it a good fling. So tell as many people as you as you possibly can about the show. Link out to this episode. Link out to your favorite episode. Link out to episodes in conversations on social media, on groups where it's allowed. Don't don't break any rules. But um, just let people know that we're here. If this show has done anything for you in the two plus years that we've been doing it, now's the time to pay it forward and pass on this messaging so that other people can hear and get and stay unbound. That's what we're here for. That is our mission. That is our purpose. I'm not here to become a millionaire. I'm here to help some people get their lives back. And I need your help. And I need you to help me do that. Okay, we can do this together. Patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network. If you can help us out financially, and if not, then all the other ways that I mentioned, please do something proactive this week and get the show in front of somebody else. And just before we get into our main topic, we want to let you know next week, we are coming back with our review of the Mark IV classic, A Thief in the Night. And after that, it's... It's road test time again. I'm already feeling the pinch from that, and I'm taking that week off. And then when we get back from that little hiatus, we're going to do an episode that explains all the ways that America isn't the greatest nation on Earth, and hopefully provide a little light at the end of the tunnel as to how it can be. And, you know, you're already thinking, Spider, spoiler alert, you're going to tell us to vote. Well, yes, that's part of it. But there are other things that we can do, and there are other ways that we can turn the tide on some of the things that are happening in this country. And 
we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about why things are the way that they are and why the powers that be keep trying to perpetuate this messaging of us being the best and greatest country on earth when we clearly are not on any single front. We are not. And I'm ashamed to admit this and sit here and broadcast that messaging to the masses, but we're about truth on this show. And the truth is America kind of sucks, but it doesn't have to. And that's where we're going with the message in that episode. So next week, Thief in the Night, week after that, we're taking the week off and then we're back with more politics than I than I really want to deal with. But unfortunately, <laughs> we need to deal with them. We, we need to face this shit head on. And that's what we're going to do. And going forward from there, we have lots of other stuff planned already. I've been more proactive with this than I've been in the past just for the purpose of making sure that things run smoothly and I'm not sitting there stressing out over what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So we've got a lot of the year mapped out at this point, and I'm really proud of myself for that, but I'm not going to spoil anything just yet. Right now, you know, like I said, I'm not sure how excited I am about this, but it's time to get into our main topic. how pro-choice America refers to pro-lifers. They simply call them anti-choice. And that is a much more accurate, exponentially more honest way of describing them. After all, and uh, these points come directly from their website, it's pretty hard to call yourself pro-life when you're actively working to imprison or execute women who access safe abortion care, tear babies away from their parents and lock them in cages with no plan to reunite them, silence doctors and strip reproductive health care away from millions of low-income people, stand by while the maternal mortality rates skyrocket and women, especially black women, die in childbirth. It's pretty hard to call yourself pro-life when you deny affordable health care coverage to people with pre-existing conditions and cut programs that feed hungry kids. And it is really hard to call yourself pro-life when you try to block access to HIV testing and treatment across the globe. And lastly, it's really hard to call yourself pro-life when you incite far-right violence with lies about abortion. And we are going to take a look at some of those lies in just a little while and expose them for what they are and explain to you why they're false. And you're probably sitting there at this moment thinking, Spider, is it really that bad? Listener, let me tell you something. It's worse. Mitch McConnell is now saying that if the Republicans win the House and Senate in November, they will draft legislation to ban abortion nationwide. First off, fuckwit, good luck with that. It's just not going to happen. Because I'd really love to know how you plan to circumvent states' rights to make that happen. You might actually force the supremely useless court's hand and force them to hand the decision back to the people. And here's another reason it's that bad and worse. In the United States, the, quote, greatest country in the world, unquote, more women die in childbirth than in any other developed nation on the planet. And many of those women die due to complications arising from difficult pregnancies and deliveries. Sometimes the problem is known beforehand and sometimes not. But you would think that a country that calls itself the greatest on earth would at least be more toward the bottom of the list and not, you know, at the very fucking top. And here's something else that predominantly anti-choice states like to do. They like to take food out of the mouths of children to promote their idiotic agenda. Oh, yes. Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, Missouri, North Carolina, North Dakota, 
Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, and Texas have used federal welfare funds to support anti-abortion clinics, namely crisis pregnancy centers. These people who call themselves pro-life starve the most needy children in their states in their effort to go on forcing women to have babies that they don't want. Excuse me, but the women who need the food for their kids did what you wanted them to, you complete and utter fucking idiots. They had the kid. Now you're going to starve it? Mm. It, it just... It, it amazes me. It dumbfounds me. Pro-life? You've got to be kidding me. Pro-life, my ass. This is not pro-life by no. any stretch of anyone's imagination. And when Roe versus Wade first went into effect, the collective evangelical response was, meh, Christianity today, as early as 1968, had statements in it like, God does not regard the fetus as a soul, no matter how far gestation has progressed. The former Southern Baptist Convention president, Wayne Dehoney, said in 1976 that Catholics got it wrong with their anti-abortion theology because the soul is formed at breath, not with conception. The SBC, at the very least, adopted a resolution in 1971 allowing for abortion in many unfortunate circumstances, seeing it as a sensible middle ground. Sometime after the debut of the McDonald's Happy Meal in 1979, evangelical Christians decided that the Bible said that life begins at conception. Over the next few years, any opinion that said otherwise was changed until the anti-abortion theology was united over all evangelicals. And everyone also acted like it had always been this way. Of course they did. I mean, this was not long before I set foot on Word of Life Island. Yeah. And let me tell you, we were indoctrinated about this when I was 13 years old. Mm -hmm. That was just 1985. And I didn't know it at the time, but all of this rhetoric was still in its part in the term embryonic stages. Yeah. And that's uh, and that, that's very significant. And here's the one and only verse. And I'm going to I'm going to uh, just preface this with a little bit more of my Bible college education here. When you exegete any part of scripture, responsible exegesis looks for more than one example of the same concept. And yet, whenever they start touting their rhetoric about um, life beginning at conception, it all comes down to one verse in the book of Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. That's Jeremiah 1.5. Um, here's the problem here. This is literally verse. It's poetry. Right. Okay. It was never meant to be taken literally. It's all figurative and it's all expressive language. I think that any responsible theologian, exegete, pastor, Bible college student, whoever, would have to come to that conclusion reading these words the way that they're presented. So the Bible does not say that life begins at conception. It has a poem that is supposed to elevate the emotionalism of this one time where Yahweh actually comes dangerously close to saying, I love you. Yeah. And then just stop short mm. because that's the, the quote unquote messaging here more than anything. But it was never meant to be taken literally. And they do. 
because it suits their needs. And taking this verse literally is very irresponsible exegesis. I'm just going to put that yeah. right out there. So, you know, that right there is the capstone of every lie that they tell about this. So now let's look at some of the other ones, some of the more common lies that evangelicals are fed and perpetuate about abortion. They buy this shit hook, line, and sinker without ever questioning or seeking the truth on their own, just like they do with everything else. So let's look at the first one and the biggest one. Abortion is murder. Okay, well, even if we granted the most generous possible terms to the anti-abortion camp, even if we pretended the fetus was fully rational and contemplating Shakespeare in the womb, abortion would still not be murder. That's a quote from Jennifer Wright in an article that she wrote for Harper's Bazaar. And I'll be referencing a little bit more of her stuff as we go. And the link to that article is in the show notes. I definitely recommend reading it. It's really good. And I'll, I'll take it a step further. I'm going to say click on it, read it word for word when we're done here. It's almost artful the way that she so thoroughly eviscerates every major pro-life argument here mm -hmm. and, and and exposes the man behind the curtain. I, I really like this, and I think that you will too. There are a great many facts that conservatives feel comfortable ignoring when it comes to the abortion debate, and we're going to look at some of those a little bit later too because some of this information kind of overlaps a little bit. Yeah. But... Let's just look at the next big lie that they tell. There is no difference between a baby and a fetus. Except uh, there is. There are many differences, as a matter of fact. For starters, a fetus cannot live unsupported for at least the first 21 weeks in utero, and almost no fetus born before week 24 survives. It is not its own life or entity at all for a full two-thirds of a pregnancy. Also... A fetus becomes a baby when it is no longer dependent on the mother's body to sustain it. That basically means it becomes a baby when it's born and starts breathing on its own. Even with a fully developed brain, it's still a fetus until it can sustain life by itself. Does that mean that aborting a ninth month gestational fetus is ethical? You know what? I'm not here to argue the ethics of that, because I know that's, that's something that somebody out there listening is going to try and come back at us with, or come back at anyone who makes arguments like that with. But here's the thing. It's not up to me to judge the ethics of it. Just call me Paul Harvey <laughs> and tell me the rest of the story, okay? Yeah. There are so many mitigating factors that would contribute to a decision like this being made that... I can't even begin to speak to the ethics of it. It's situational ethics at best. And I'll get into a little bit more of my own opinion on this later on in terms of the overall concept of abortion. But I don't think that it is unjustified at any developmental stage of the fetus when there are mitigating circumstances that either make it necessary because there are threats to the health of the mother or the survival of the mother or if there are things that are discovered late term about the fetus that would make it difficult for it to have any kind of life on its own. I mean, it may be able to breathe on its own, but what kind of life will it have if there are serious problems that are not detected until like the eighth or ninth month? So again, very situational in terms of the ethics. And I am not going to, I'm not going to make any personal commentary on that part of it because 
I would need to know all the relevant facts of a specific situation to be able to give an opinion on that. So I'm not going to give an across the board opinion on that particular part of it, which I think is the most responsible thing to do. Right. Because that was a lot of syllables to basically just say, I don't know. And as atheists, we like the term, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how ethical it is. I would have to see it situation to situation. The next lie that they like to tell is that the fetus feels pain during the abortion. Um, The fetus doesn't have a brain developed enough until at least week 24 to be able to feel anything. That's nearly six months in. And at that point in its development, in a huge majority of cases, the decision has already been made to carry to term. Nearly all abortions happen prior to any developmental stage where the fetus can feel or perceive anything. We already touched on the life begins a conception part of it, but since it's right there in my notes, I'm going to uh, I'm going to go a little bit further with this. Eggs are fertilized all the time that wind up being absorbed by the mother's body or that pass right through the menstrual cycle when they fail to implant. In fact, the majority, the majority of fertilized eggs never develop into viable fetuses. I've talked before about the improbable nature of our own existence. Just think about that one. You're one of the ones that survived and you are in a minority. And I like this quote from uh, Jill Filopovic. There has been no concerted anti-abortion effort to demand research funding into why all these fertilized eggs die or to find a cure. Perhaps that's because even the most active anti-abortion advocates know the truth is that a fertilized egg is not the same as a three-year-old, and they do not genuinely believe that it has the same right to life. It's, it's true of so much of what these people purport to believe. They ignore anything that doesn't suit their own needs, wants, or opinions, and at the end of the day, they do what they want just like the rest of us. I've said before, that I don't think that most evangelicals really believe in hell, because if they did, they'd be tormented into insanity at the never-abating thoughts of their unsaved child, spouse, sibling, or parent roasting on a spit for all eternity. I see a direct correlation between their lack of likely response to their loved ones being in hell and their lack of concern for fertilized eggs that die. It comes from the same place, that pocket of logic that lives inside their brain that allows them to think they believe something while cleverly protecting them from their own beliefs. And here's their counter-argument to this whole thing. Well, when that happens, it's God's will. Okay, so your God, who is supposedly telling you that you can't murder a baby in the womb, murders literally millions of babies per day in millions of wombs. Um, Does it bother you even a little what kind of monumental hypocrite your God is? (laughs) You know, just chew on that one for a second or two, okay? Next, let's examine this very big lie. Abortion causes psychological damage. Well, not in 95% of the cases. Most women don't look back at getting an abortion with any real level of regret. Quite the opposite, actually. Most of them feel relieved, and a week after the procedure is done, 95% still say that they believe they did the right thing. Okay. Now I will say this in the past three years, I've met two of those five percenters. They exist and the mental and emotional toll it takes on them is real. It is significant. It is not to be downplayed by any means. I'm just saying that they're in the minority. There are various reasons why it would affect someone this way. And I'm not a licensed therapist, so I'm not even going to start speculating. 
I do know what I gleaned from the two women who told me about the negatives of their abortion decisions, and both cited religion in various contexts during the conversation. So, again, chew on that one for a minute or two. Women who have a little bit less of a spiritual mooring in their lives don't dwell on this decision. They understand that they did what was right for them at that moment and period in their lives. And that was my answer. That was my response to both of the women who, who told me about their abortion decisions. It's like, well, at that time, were you in any fit condition to be a parent? Then you made the right decision. You made the right decision, not dragging another person into an already unstable situation. You knew what your limitations were. You did what you needed to do at the time. You did the right thing for you at the time. And both of them now have multiple children that were maybe not 100% planned, but definitely wanted. Yeah. And that makes a huge difference. Next, oh God, I love this one. Mm. Oh my goodness. Promiscuous women have abortions. Okay, okay, first off, define promiscuous. Does it mean anything beyond someone who has had more sex with more people than you? No, I really don't think that it does. And lots of people have sex outside of marriage and with multiple partners throughout their adult lives. So who are the promiscuous ones in those numbers? And who gets to decide that? You? Yeah, no, not so much. One of the things that they will that they'll come back with in response to pretty much any of these things is, well, if you don't want to get pregnant, then use birth control. You know, more evangelicals are okay with birth control than like your average Catholic. There are some that are really gung-ho on the whole, you know, you shouldn't be interfering in God's plan sort of thing. And my, I, I had people say that to me. I don't know if they ever said it to you, but... I did have friends that said that it interferes with God's plan. And it's like, well, yeah. how can how can a person interfere with God's plan? If God wants us to have a kid, then he's going to send us a kid regardless of what we're doing. So just pipe down, you know, yeah. let, let, let God, let God decide if he wants us to have a kid. We really don't want one just now. So we're going to sort of kind of do this until we're actually ready. And we did until we were actually ready mm -hmm. and it worked. Yes. It worked. I mean, how do I know it worked? <laughs> you got pregnant on the first shot. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we literally tried for one month, and that was it. So what we were doing worked, and uh, God didn't chime in about any of it in six years. Nope. And here's the problem with that kind of thinking anyway. More than half of all unwanted pregnancies are the product of parents who were, in fact, using birth control. You can't get away from that. These people were doing what you think they should do. They were doing everything that they needed to do to ensure that this didn't happen. Well, I mean, do they get a hall pass? No, of course they don't. Because now you're going to go right back to the God's will argument. And, uh, well, what if these people aren't Christians? What if they don't believe in your God? Why would God want to bring another person into this world that he's just going to have to eventually roast in hell? What would be the point? Yeah. But uh, that's just a little bit too much on the logical end for most of them to come back with an answer to. And, and this is another one that, that they like to pull out. Science considers a single cell found on Mars to be life, and yet you can't get behind a fetus being life. Well, yes, microbial life exists, and by life, once again, we mean self-sustaining. A self-sustaining microbe is a form of life. And as Jennifer Wright points out, 
If that microbe from Mars posed even the slightest threat to us, we would kill it. And guess what? Every pregnancy has potential to pose a threat to the health and well-being of the mother. Every last one. Remember, we have the highest pregnancy and birth-related mortality rates among women than literally any other developed nation. That means that every pregnancy, every pregnancy, is a potential threat, and women who don't want to roll the dice with their own lives should not have to. Yeah, and almost as long as women have been having children, there has been the need for abortion. It might not have always been called by that name, but it's always been around. In the 1800s and early 1900s, the height of the patent medicine era, a series of female remedies could be bought, which I just find that amusing. A female remedy. Female remedy. Yes. These were not safe by any means and often contained copious amounts of alcohol and narcotics like morphine and cocaine and herbal concoctions. There were female strengthening remedies and nerve tonics, all of them packaged with promises of better health, telling women that they were weak and needed the remedies described in the ads. Because they give you a problem and then they sell you the solution. Well, yeah. And I mean, the same ingredients would be the solution to many, many different things. It just so happens that it had these specific effects when they were used by women under certain circumstances. Yep. But a lot of these tonics were exactly the same and were sold under different names with different claims as to what they would do. Of course. This is why we needed the FDA. Yes. And some of these patent medicines were abortifacients. An advertisement for Burdock's blood bitters told women that as a grand system-renovating tonic, it was the best cure for chronic diseases common to their sex. Sounds delightful, doesn't it? I know, right? Gotta so, love the name of that. I, so a pregnancy is a chronic disease common to the female sex? Well, yes. Okay. But if you were having worries like, for instance, morning sickness, or you had missed a period, you could take a medicine called an amenagogue. These would stimulate pelvic and uterine blood flow and could bring on menstruation. These may well have been used for that purpose and likewise could be used as abortifacients. Historian Leslie Reagan describes how women in the 18th and early 19th century who faced an unwanted pregnancy first tried to induce an early abortion at home using abortifacient plants like tansy and pennyroyal. And then if that didn't work, they sought more help. These remedies advertising and packaging contained very carefully coded language to disguise their true or alternative purposes. A tiny pamphlet for Dr. Martel's French female pills asked, what ailment can so worry a suffering woman more than to have her menstruation painful, irregular, or suppressed? Suppressed. There it is. There it is. The pamphlet suggests that the pills could be used to prevent irregularities and may have been intended as a form of birth control as well as an abortifacient. The Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906 was one of the actions that brought these medicines under scrutiny. And since most of them were sold through the mail, they also came afoul of the Comstock Act of 1873, which prevented the sale of articles of immoral use through the postal service yeah and i love how you read things like this and you realize just how puritanical we've been from the very beginning yeah it's Mm -hmm. it's really crazy 
I've heard it bandied about that England sent all of their religious nuts to America. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, no, it wouldn't. Today, despite all the rhetoric and protests, the numbers of abortions in America are still high. Contraception is not always covered by insurance, and many states do not have comprehensive sex education. Out of 41 countries, the U.S. is last in how much paid parental leave is provided for new parents at zero days. Our abortion rate is 11.4 per 1,000 women. On the other hand, the abortion rate in the Netherlands is the lowest in the world at 5 to 7 per 1,000 women. They take unplanned pregnancy very seriously as a public health issue. Changes in industry and society have also changed family values. The National Institute of Health article proceeds thus. Factors facilitating the rapid transition to a contraceptive society in the Netherlands were a voluntary family planning movement. Fear of overpopulation, role of general practitioners in providing family planning services, and inclusion of family planning in the national public health insurance system. Acceptance of contraception preceded liberalization of abortion. Society accepts abortion as only a last resort. The sexual sterilization rate is higher than that in other European countries. Special family planning programs in the Netherlands target groups at risk of unwanted pregnancy, particularly teenage pregnancy. Almost all secondary schools and about 50% of primary schools address sexuality and contraception. Sex education has largely been integrated in general health education programs. The mass media addresses adolescent sexuality and preventative behavior. Very large-scale, non-moralistic public education campaigns that are positive towards teenage sexual behavior appear to be successful. Teens have wide access to contraceptive services through subsidized family planning clinics. <clears throat> so they do a lot more. They, they do a lot more. And I like the term non-moralistic. Yes. I like that there's a healthy dose of realism yeah. that's associated with this. I mean, this is a lot more effective in curbing teen pregnancy than a true love waits course will ever be. Or telling a girl that she's a chewed up piece of gum. Yes. Or, you know, convincing teenage girls that if they have sex, they're now damaged goods. Right. You know, that's, it's just such bullshit. And, uh, you know, they, they taught it to us. They taught it to the girls in front of us. You know, they didn't take the boys out of the room for those kinds of conversations. Hmm. And sometimes they tried to make it a little bit more inclusive so it didn't look like the misogynistic bullshit that it was. But that's what it was. Hmm. Because like we talked about last week, at the end of the day, it's up to the woman to protect her virtue because men are dogs and we can't control our urges. Ugh. You see, that's the messaging that people get here. There, they get unbiased, non-moralistic messaging about right. the realities of who they are and what can and will happen if they engage in these activities. So if you don't want this to happen, then do this. You know, no one's telling them don't have sex. It's not realistic. Right. What's realistic is making sure that they are informed about what the consequences are. Because I don't think a lot of evangelical teens, even with all the bullshit that they're thrown on this particular subject, I don't think that most of them really, honestly, and truly understand what the real consequences are, aside from it making Sky Daddy angry. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's pretty much all they get. 
and they're told tall tales and urban legends about bad things that happen to girls who have sex. Let's bring up Steve Taylor again in the song Jenny. Oh, you know, yeah. Jenny kills herself because she falls for basically a carny and sleeps with him and he dumps her and she winds up killing herself over that. That's pretty much the whole song. Right. So, uh, you know, just uh, a little throwback to our conversation last week on the toxic messaging in Christian music. Well, yeah, there's plenty of toxic messaging about abortion, too, that we didn't even get into, only because I knew how much conversation there was going to be on this over the next few months. Yeah. And I figure, you know, a lot of that's going to get integrated anyway. But to bring it back to the original conversation, let's look at some of the reasons why abortion needs to stay legal. First, it protects women from life-threatening complications that arise from pregnancy. And even some of my friends in college understood this. I might have told this story once before on the show, but it was a while ago. So I'm just going to pull it out again with the Reader's Digest version. When I was part of Operation Rescue, I remember asking a specific person who was living in my dorm if he wanted to join us, if he wanted to come over to Phoenixville Hospital in protest. And he said, Joe, I respect you. I respect your uh, your stand on this. And I understand what you're doing. And I understand where it comes from. But between you and me, I want the laws to stay the same. And I was very taken aback. This was like a real dyed-in-the-wool evangelical kid. And I asked him why. And he said, well, think about it this way. You're trying to start a family with your wife. And you go see her doctor and you find out that there's a complication where you can either save her life or save the baby's life, but you can't save both. Either both of them will die or one of them, the one you choose, will live. Who do you choose? Do you choose to continue building a life with this person that you want to spend the rest of your life with and understand that you can try again for another kid? Or do you go the full, um, the full hyper-spiritual route with that and say, this is God's will, and let them both die? What exactly do you do? If the laws change, that second decision is going to be made for you. And that's a problem. So it's a tough enough decision to decide to end a pregnancy because you're so excited that this wonderful thing is about to happen and then, boom, the bottom falls out of it. But you can try again for another kid. You can't try again for the same wife. Nope, you really can't find another person just like the person you lost, especially. No, no. So the logical decision there is to terminate the pregnancy. But if me standing out there with that sign had had the effect that we wanted it to have, then it would have taken that decision out of the hands of that couple. And from the standpoint of pure science... This is not a person yet. And even if it was, by all accounts, a healthy fetus, and it was, let's say, an ectopic pregnancy, and it was going to kill the mother, then, you know, I would be devastated, but I would choose you yeah. over over losing both of you. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's it's a horrible decision to have to make. But mm-hmm. I never thought about it that way until he brought it up. And I may have gone out with those picket signs one or two more times, but it never left my head. And that was the beginning of the end of Operation Rescue for the Spider. Yeah. That was, that was pretty much the beginning of the end. 
I don't know how many more times I stood out there with that sign, but I do know that every single time I did, I heard that going off in my head. And it's like, maybe he's onto something. Mm. And maybe he's right. So after a little while, I just put down the sign and kept my opinions to myself. Yeah. You see, even then, even back then, mired in the Kool-Aid, I had the good sense to listen to and, um, and consider other opinions. I've always been like that. And this one, I thought, was beyond relevant and beyond right. The next reason that abortion needs to stay legal is that it acknowledges the right of women to make choices regarding their own bodies. It has never been good to be a woman in America or many other parts of the world for that matter. And it amazes me how a bunch of old men in this country are afforded by way of votes, by way of votes, people, the right to dictate what women do with their own bodies. And let's not forget, a fetus is part of the mother's body until it can function on its own. You're repeating yourself, Spider. Yes, because it's important and you need to understand. The fetus is using the mother's body to make one for itself. If this is not something a woman wants to have happen to her, she has the right to put a stop to it. Yeah, I remember when I was pregnant, um, I lost both thumbnails. Like the thumbnails just sort of got eaten up from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's because I was pregnant. And when the baby doesn't have enough calcium or enough keratin in the case of my fingernails, some women lose teeth. Mm -hmm. Some women lose a lot of teeth. There was an old saying that if you have a child, you're going to lose a tooth. One tooth, one kid. And my feet grew. My feet grew a half size and none of my shoes fit. And that might not seem like a lot, but it's still an effect that has never gone away. It's a form of inflammation. It's your body responding to tissue literally being plucked away from it to make this fetus. Right. And if you didn't want that, how awful is it? I know. You see, those those are not things that I've heard of often, but I know they happen often. They do happen. And I mean, I, I guess I just haven't had enough conversations with enough women who have gone through the process to know how common it is. Yeah. But that was that was odd. It was an odd sort of thing to me. Yeah. With the with the thumbnails, that's it for was sure. Just weird. That is the direct result of the fetus literally taking your tissue to make a body for itself. Yeah. And that in certain contexts and under certain circumstances and for various reasons, it's not outside the realm of reason for a woman to argue that it is very invasive and intrusive. You know, well, she had sex. She allowed it to happen in the first place. Um, Well, let's not forget that half of unwanted pregnancies begin with two people who are using contraception. Okay. So she didn't want it in the first place. And she really doesn't want it now. So who is anyone out there to tell her that now she has to go through all of that? You know, it's ridiculous. So, you know, just to put a cap on that, I don't care if you've had protected sex, unprotected sex. We know what can happen in either case because we all know people who have gotten pregnant while they were using birth control. So regardless of the circumstances, a woman does not have to let this very tricky, potentially life-threatening and flat-out unwanted thing to just happen to her. You know, I'm going to go right on record. I'm going to wear my heart on my sleeve here for just a second and tell you, I don't like the idea of abortion as birth control, but I also understand that it's not my decision to make. 
even if it was between you and I, I understand that it's not my decision to make. I may be granted a say, but I don't get to make the decision, you know? Maybe we would make the decision together, but at the end of the day, it's going to be what you want. Right. And that is, it's so important to have that distinction in place and understand that that's the way that it is supposed to work because it is your body and you have the final say about what happens to it. Period. End of story. I can't impose my morals on someone else. I know what I think about this. I know how I feel about it. But thinking things and feeling things and understanding the science and the logic of them are two very different things. I may not like the idea of abortion as birth control, but A, it's none of my business. And B, I understand that there are multitudes of reasons why someone would do just that. And none of them are any of them. And again, let's bring it full circle. None of them are any of my business. There were a couple of interesting uh, citations and quotes in some of the sources that I uh, came up with for this. All of them are in the show notes. You'll be able to find them just fine if you uh, if you go and click through the list of sources that we have available. And there are a lot for this particular episode. But I found it interesting that former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor wrote, and this was in 1992, um, in the 1992 decision in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, she said, the ability of women to participate equally in the economic and social life of the nation has been facilitated by their ability to control their reproductive lives. This was back when we actually had a Supreme Court. Yeah. Then there was Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who I miss terribly. Yeah. Um, she wrote in her dissenting opinion in Gonzalez versus Carhart in 2007 that undue restrictions on abortion infringe upon a woman's autonomy to determine her life's course and thus to enjoy equal citizenship stature. In other words, no boys, you do not get to make these decisions. They're hers. Leave them to her. And let's not forget that legal abortion saves lives. Yes, that's true. It saves lives. Viable, autonomous, thinking, feeling, human lives. Abortions performed to protect the mother in cases of conditions like ectopic pregnancy would lead to an insane number of deaths if abortion is made illegal across the board. Funny how pro-life advocates don't seem to think this matters. The hypocrisy here is overwhelming. And it just proves beyond any shadow of a doubt in my mind that these people are full of shit when they talk about being pro-life. Oh, yeah. They're pro-controlling women. That is, that's all they are. Let's not forget that abortion is fated to going underground again in states that ban it outright. And this will also lead to more deaths, pro-lifers, preventable, unnecessary deaths that you are facilitating. By continuously writing this particular issue in American politics and by ensuring that the Supreme Court is stacked with evangelicals and evangelical sympathizers who are just going to give you whatever the fuck you want for the next several decades. We also need to understand that long-term abortion-related health issues are a myth. There are no verifiable long-term physical complications associated with legal, competent, clinically-based pregnancy terminations. None. A peer-reviewed study published by Obstetrics and Gynecology reported that less than one quarter of 1% of abortions lead to major health complications. 
Another study in obstetrics and gynecology found a woman's risk of dying from having an abortion is 0.6 in 100,000, while the risk of dying from giving birth is around 14 times higher at 8.8 in 100,000. The study also found that pregnancy-related complications were more common with childbirth than they were with abortion. The American Medical Association and the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists said abortion is one of the safest medical procedures performed in the United States. It is one of the most low-risk invasive procedures that there is. They also said that, mortal that the mortality rate of a colonoscopy is more than 40 times greater than that of an abortion. Just think about that for a moment. Yeah. Okay. The National Cancer Institute, the American Cancer Society, and the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists all refuted the claim that abortion can lead to a higher probability of developing breast cancer. That's another myth that they like to yeah. that they like to pull out and perpetuate and people just start parroting it all over the place like it's true. A fertility investigation of 10,767 women by the Joint Royal College of General Practitioners and the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists found that women who had at least two abortions experienced the same future fertility as those who had had at least two natural pregnancies. Women who have had abortions don't have as many mental health consequences as the anti-choicers want you to believe. We delved into this a moment ago. In fact, the mental health consequences of being denied an abortion are actually much higher. Abortion also allows women to choose not to carry fetuses with profound abnormalities to term. This also alleviates various medical resources that some people born with severe disabilities and handicaps will need for their entire lives. And I'll go right on record. If I had to choose between existing, not living, mind you, just existing inside a body that will never allow me to have any quality of life and that would limit my enjoyment of life, that would limit my potential in life and not existing, I would absolutely, positively, without a doubt, choose the latter. If I can't enjoy life and do the things that most people just take for granted with mine, then what's the point? I would not want that for me. And let's also remember that abortion actually contributes to a higher quality of life for many women. Women who are denied abortions, on the other hand, are more likely to become unemployed, to be on public welfare, to be below the poverty line, and to become victims of domestic violence. A University of California at San Francisco study found that women who were turned away from abortion clinics because they had passed the gestational limit imposed by the clinic were three times more likely to be below the poverty level two years later than women who were able to obtain abortions. 76% of the turnaways ended up on unemployment benefits compared with 44% of the women who had the abortions. The same study found that women unable to obtain abortions were more likely to stay in a relationship with an abusive partner than women who had an abortion and were more than twice as likely to become victims of domestic violence. And if you need just a little bit more proof, abortion prevents numerous problems suffered by the bringing of unwanted children into this world. Many unwanted children experience a poor quality of life either at the hands of abusive parents 
or they spend their lives passed around between foster homes that leave them with no real sense of self, a low self-image, and feelings of low self-worth. When a child, quote, ages out of the foster care system, they also have a much higher probability of needing public assistance, and when those benefits are denied, they often turn to crime to survive, and far too many of them also turn to suicide as an alternative. Along those lines, abortion reduces the number of people on public assistance. And with so many states funneling welfare money into crisis fucking pregnancy centers, this is good news on a number of fronts. And on the heels of that, abortion is a justified means of population control. By terminating pregnancies, women contribute to the betterment of humanity in many of the ways we've already mentioned. It reduces the load on public assistance worldwide. It prevents conditions like hunger and homelessness and reduces instances of violent crime. With 55 million abortions performed worldwide each year, just imagine what would happen in already impoverished high crime areas if in the next 10 years there were a half billion more people around contributing to every socioeconomic problem known to humanity. And again, where are the anti-choicers in the midst of all of this? If they wanted to away with abortion entirely, how did they intend to deal with any of the problems we already mentioned? Here's the answer. They don't, because they aren't thinking that far ahead. They aren't trying to save babies. They aren't trying to better society. All they're trying to do is control women's reproductive lives without the first plan on how to deal with the lives they're fighting so hard to protect. How about this? How about protecting people from lives of having to depend on other people for all their needs, whether by way of poverty or disability? How about protecting children from abusive, resentful parents who never wanted them in the first place? How about not making a child hop from home to home until they're 18 and then being cut loose with few viable options outside of homelessness, lives of crime, or suicide? And don't get me started on the emotional, physical, and sexual abuse that runs rampant through the foster parent system or the people who literally treat foster parenting like a business, pocketing the money given to them to care for the children under their guardianship. How about protecting the lives of women who are likely to die if they carry a fetus to term? Why is this so one-sided? The quote-unquote life of the fetus matters, but the life of the mother doesn't. Why is this kind of blatant hypocrisy taken seriously in the first place? So, if you're an anti-choicer, my question to you is simple. What's your plan? Every single time I pose this question to one of you, you skirt it, redirect the conversation, or just start quoting Bible verses. None of these things help unwanted babies have better lives. None of them bring back mothers who die in childbirth at the end of risky pregnancies back to life. None of them alleviate domestic violence. All they do is reveal the hypocrisy of calling something so blatantly anti-woman pro-life. Bottom line? If you're going to call yourself pro-life, you need to hold yourself accountable for the quality of the lives you quote-unquote save. You need to concede that sometimes it's necessary to terminate a pregnancy to save the already viable life of the mother. You need to do things that ensure a healthy society on a whole, not one with huge numbers of people crippling public assistance and committing violent crimes that also lead to unnecessary deaths. If you were to be honest about it, those of us who want to see abortion laws stay the way they are are far more pro-life than any anti-choicer will ever be. We care about the lives of women. We care about the quality of life that people experience. And these things are greatly diminished when abortion becomes difficult or impossible to obtain. 
again, I have my misgivings about abortion on various levels, but I do understand the good that it does, regardless of a woman's reason for getting one. Sometimes it's necessary to see all sides of an argument and concede that even if you don't like something, that doesn't mean it's wrong or bad for society. And when given a laundry list of reasons why the laws staying the same do good and why changing them do bad in society, one must see the need to keep abortion accessible. Taking ourselves out of the equation in situations that involve others and not us is not just a good idea. It is necessary. I admit that I struggle with this one. I admit that I see certain black and white and right and wrong issues with the entire abortion debate, but I also understand that everything we talked about tonight leads to the same conclusion. Abortion and access to abortion do far more good than harm, and the laws need to stay the same. Take the time to consider what you've heard here tonight. Some of it may be hard to swallow. Some of it might make you uncomfortable. But if you're at least willing to see both sides and consider which one does more to help society than harm it, that's a sign that you're at least on your way to getting and staying unbound. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.